Welcome into another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Always a lot of fun to talk some hoops with Chris Dorch, the main man with the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook. Coming up a little bit later as well, Kevin Brockway, who's written for Blue Ribbon for years, covers uh, basketball up in Indiana. He's going to be our guest coming up shortly. Chris, what's going on, man? Well, my my friend, I'm playing hurt today. Uh, I've had a sinus infection that I flat out cannot shake. But, you know, sometimes... You got to lace it up and, and and be tough. So here I am. So is this your edition of the uh, like your version of the Michael Jordan flu game? Is that what we're talking about here? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. It's it has that sort of consequences, but uh, <laughs> I, I did have to mentally prepare and and also uh, get some gargling in. And I've got my ever present water. I don't know if you remember. Early on, when I started appearing on your Nashville show, it might have been the first year, I got dry as a bone, and, and I I could literally not talk. And you guys were laughing and stuff, and you finally let me go early. And you told me, you and Mark Howard both told me later, he said, never do radio or podcast without water nearby. And I've learned that lesson, and I'm, you know, right here, I, I always <laughs> carry it, man. Yep, uh, don't don't leave home without it. That's always a, a good plan. Let's talk about what's going on with basketball. Of course, uh, the transfer portal and who has left and who's gone where continues to be one of the big stories of the offseason. A big get for Texas, Tyrese Hunter from Iowa State. His final list, it included Tennessee, Gonzaga, Louisville, Kansas, and Purdue, but he chose the Longhorns. Guy was the Big 12 freshman of the year last season, was a top three overall transfer in the uh, ESPN ranking. So that's another good get for uh, the uh, Texas Longhorns down there as they, uh, for the second year in a row, really compile some pretty nice talent with Coach Beard. They really have. They've also recruited some five-star high school players, Dylan Mitchell and Arterio Morris. But they wanted Tyree Hunter to pair with Marcus Carr, actually to move Marcus Carr off the ball where he's really a, more effective. He's, he's played a point guard out of necessity wherever he's been. He was at Minnesota before Texas, but now he can move to the two. Tyrese Hunter, who had a really good freshman season. I, I mean, he was a little light on the three-point percentage and a little high on turnovers, but I think those are things he can fix through hard work. And he was definitely the most coveted, if not the most coveted player still remaining, may, maybe the most yeah. coveted player in the portal process. Give me a couple more names of guys who are still out there. Well, another surprise uh, guy that, that signed since we last did our podcast was Matthew Mayer. He pulled out of the draft a kid from Baylor and went to Illinois. That sort of surprised me because I thought maybe North Carolina would, you know, pitch to him replacing Brady Manick. All four of their starters are back. But uh, the guys that are still – impactful that are out there. Isaiah Mosley from Missouri State. He's a 6'5 wing, off-the-charts scorer. Pete Nance, a 6'10 center from Northwestern. He's still technically in the NBA draft, but I haven't seen his name in any uh, uh, in, in any mock drafts. Malachi Smith from, from Chattanooga at 6'4. Uh, he played point guard for them. I'm not sure he's a full-time point guard. He kind of reminds me a lot of Josiah Jordan James from from Tennessee. And then a kid named A.J. Green from Northern Iowa, big-time shooter, good size for his position. Uh, and Patrick Baldwin, Jr., uh, he has not pulled out of the draft yet. It's possible he could get picked in the second round, but 
he's a six nine four with perimeter skills. If, if I were him, I'd find me a power conference school and and play another year or two. Interesting to see what Arizona has done with international players. Uh, they'll now have eight on the roster for next season. They got a commitment for from the eighteen year old seven footer Henry Visar. I think I'm saying that right from Estonia. Thought to be the top international college prospect for this year. He'd been called up to that country's senior national team at age 17, which tells you uh, something about uh, his skill level and talent. But a good shooter, very uh, thin guy, only 205 pounds for a seven-footer. But uh, it's, it's really interesting to see different ways that programs go about constructing their rosters. Arizona really getting a, a lot of good international players to come to Tucson and play. They really have, and it started with uh, Kevin when Sean Miller ran afoul of the NCAA and the FBI wiretap and all that. Obviously, opposing coaches were recruiting against him. Don't go there. He's going to get fired. So they started taking international players, and those kids don't know what's going on, and they can't necessarily be, uh, uh, you know, their opinion swayed by rival schools because, you know, maybe nobody knows Arizona's even recruiting these kids. So. They signed a bunch of international guys, and they really contributed last year under Tommy Lloyd. And the thing about Tommy Lloyd, he'd recruited internationally for Gonzaga for 20 years. So it stands to reason that Arizona would continue to try to get international players. Been looking at some of the mock drafts for the NBA. Uh, saw a top five that was all college players. Jabari Smith from Auburn to Orlando. Oklahoma City picking Gonzaga's Chet Holmgren. Paolo Bancaro of Duke to Houston. Uh, Sacramento taking Jaden Ivey of uh, Purdue. Iowa's Keegan Murray going to Detroit. So, you know, those things are what they are. And it, it probably won't look anything like this when the draft gets here. June 1st, which as we record this is tomorrow, is the deadline for players to withdraw from the NBA draft. Who do you feel like might stay in? Who do you think should get out? How's that picture looking? Well, I think the best way to answer that is is who I think should get out. I think Drew Timmy from Gonzaga, as good a college player as he is, and he was Blue Ribbon's preseason player of the year last year, uh, I, I just don't see him turning up on, on mock drafts. And, and I, I think he would benefit, and so would Gonzaga, if he came back. Jalen Williams from Arkansas, same way. He's a tough uh, – I think he led Division One in, in, in taking 54 charges. Tough competitor, rebounds it. But I think he should come back. And if he does, Arkansas could be preseason number one. They'll have to do some roster juggling because I think right. they've already got like 14 on scholarship. And I think Trevor Keels from Duke is another guy that – I, I feel like that he started out great against Michigan State in the Tournament of Champions, and everybody thought, wow, this guy's this cat's for real. He struggles shooting the ball a little bit, and he's a big guard, a power guard. And I think if he came back to Duke, he would solidify their lineup. They've got a lot of young players and a couple from the portal too, but uh, he'd make John Shire's first year at Duke pretty cool. Chris, our guest this week is a guy we know well. We've had him on our shows and podcasts many times. He writes for CNHI Sports Indiana and, of course, a longtime Blue Ribbon contributor. He is none other than Kevin Brockway. What's going on? Good uh, Good morning, guys. Yeah, it's uh, the night before the NBA draft deadline. Yeah, it's good to see you, man. We've, we go back a long way and have been on the road covering a lot of games together. So uh, always like to bring in some, some veteran uh, opinions. <laughs> Uh, before we get into it, though, I got to mention two things. 
the answer to your question about Indiana as a top 25 in blue ribbon, that would be yes. Okay. Uh, and it's good to see you rocking Mets pride with your Mets hat today. Tell us a little bit about your Mets uh, uh, fandom. Yeah, well, I was born in Queens, so I kind of, uh, you know, had to uh... – you're either born a Mets fan or a Yankees fan, depending on what borough you're in. And uh, I was uh, four and five minutes from Shea Stadium, went to my first game there when I was about four years old and uh, grew up with the uh, 80s Mets, which uh, there were a few down years before Gooden and Strawberry and Gary Carter. I was there on opening day in 85 when Gary Carter hit his home run in his Mets debut and of course, 86, uh, the magical year. And uh, I've stuck with them thick and thin since. And, uh, it's been a long 36 years, but, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe this could be the year 33 and 17 off to a pretty good start. Buck Showalter, you got an experienced manager under your belt. And uh, if DeGrom and Scherzer can come back healthy in the second half of the season the way they're hitting right now, uh, anything is possible, right? Right. You mentioned the NBA draft, and I thought of you immediately when uh, Trace Jackson Davis pulled out, and you texted me not long after, and you, you thought, in your opinion, and, and I respect it, that, they could be a top 25 team. And I've done my research since, and I agree. Talk about his decision and how that helps Indiana. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, the interesting thing was he was training out in Los Angeles and, you know, Mike Woodson went out there to visit with him. And then Mike Woodson was going to see him at the NBA combine in Chicago. He went up there and lo and behold, Trace wasn't there because he had contracted COVID, unfortunately, and uh, did not take part of the event. And, uh, I think that somewhat made his decision for him because he needed a good combine to sneak into the first round. He was kind of a, a, a probably a mid, a, you know, a high to mid second round pick projection, but he wanted to get in that first round. And when he realized that he wasn't going to be able to do it, uh, decided to come back for a senior year. And um, he really wants to take on a leadership role this year. And he discussed that in the Zoom that we had. Um, doesn't want any monkey business this year. Of course, you know, they had about four players suspended for that Northwestern game, uh, which uh, almost cost them an NCAA tournament berth had they not had that big run in the Big Ten tournament because uh, with those four players who were suspended, they they lost the game at Northwestern, but they probably would have won at full strength. So he really wants everyone to be locked in, nose to the grindstone. And um, obviously his production uh, is, uh, you know, led the team scoring rebounding block shots all three years. That's going to be there. Um, they're going to try to develop a little bit more of a face game with him and a little bit more of a game where he can uh, shoot from outside a little bit more, step out. That will help his NBA draft spot, stock as well. Um, but, you know, in addition to Trace, I mean, if you look at Indiana, they've got a top five recruiting class coming in. They're very high on Jalen Shafino. They think he's a guy that can contribute right away. Five-star point guard for uh, Montverde Academy. And then you've got Malik Renault, another five-star who, of course, decommitted from Florida when Mike White left uh, and is uh, coming with Hood Shafino now to Indiana. And uh, Malik is a guy with a lot of talent, but now you can kind of gradually let him develop a little bit behind Trace and uh, Race and and not put that kind of pressure on him, uh, have to step in right away and be the guy. So I think it's a a good fit with those two guys uh, coming in with with what they have returning, which is a lot. Kevin, one thing I wanted to ask you, I heard Mike Woodson talking about this a little bit the other day, is uh, renewing some of those series with Kentucky and, and with Louisville as well. Where do you think that stands, and, and will that get done, you think, even for, for the upcoming year or, or maybe a little bit down the road? Well, not for the upcoming year, but I think down the road, definitely Louisville, they want to do a home on home. I think it's going to be Kenny Payne wants to get that program up and going a little bit. Um, so I think uh, apparently the AD promised maybe in a couple of years that they would do the home and home situation uh, 
which uh, which I think would be good. Louisville's right across the river. Uh, Kentucky's a little bit trickier. Mike Woodson does have a good relationship with John Calipari. John Calipari, I don't think, will ever play in Assembly Hall again after the court storming. Um, I, I think he thought that, uh, you know, fair or not, well, he thought it was a safety issue for his players um, and maybe was upset with how that game unfolded and how the crowd acted throughout that game. But uh, I think that if, if they were to renew Indiana, Kentucky would have to be on neutral floors. It would probably have to be a situation where it would be like maybe Louisville, Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh, something of, of that nature, but uh, maybe that could happen a few years down the road. As long as John Calipari is a coach, though, they're not going to play a game in Assembly Hall. But they, they did it that way for a long time, though. Like they would play at Freedom Hall one year and play at the RCA Dome another year. So that, that doesn't seem totally uh, out of the realm of possibility to me. Yeah, and John Calipari, when I first asked about three years ago, he was talking about he wanted to play at Lucas Oil Stadium um, in, in Indianapolis, and Indiana turned that idea down which uh, is interesting. But I do know on the Kentucky side, there's some pressure, and Rick Bozich wrote about this, about the fact that Kentucky plays a lot of these neutral court games, but they don't really have uh, good games for the big ticket uh, people at, at Rupp Arena, and that the locals in Lexington are a little upset about that, about the fact that yeah. they don't have enough home-and-homes uh, to where you have uh, marquee games at Rupp. I mean, you also see a lot of Purdue, which obviously lost – Ivy, Trevion Williams, Eric Hunter transferred to Butler, but they do have a big piece in Zach Eady to build back around. What do you see about Purdue in the coming season? Yeah, and uh, you know Trey Kaufman Wren is a very interesting guy. He was the Indiana Gatorade Player of the Year in 2020 and uh, redshirted. Uh, and this is kind of the Matt Painter philosophy, and he did this also with Brandon Newman, who was runner-up uh, to uh, you know uh, uh, it, Trace Jackson Davis for. Uh, Indiana Mr. Basketball back in the 2019 and when you do that you know you give the player the extra year you let him develop and now Brandon Newman is a guy who as a junior is going to step into Zach you know to uh, Jay Ivey's role he's not quite the dynamic uh you know uh offensive player off the bounce that Jaden Ivey has athleticism but what Brandon Newman is is a pretty good shooter so he'll get that opportunity this year now as a fourth year junior to kind of step into that role and then you've certainly got, uh, you know, a, a, you know, Zach Eady back, obviously, and this kid Trey Kaufman Wren, who's got a lot of talent, a lot of ability. Um, it's kind of a he's kind of a tweener. Is he a four? Is he a three? I think that's a big question. I think he wants to be a three, and he can step out and shoot a little bit, um, but I don't know if he has the quickness or the athletic ability to guard on the wing. I think that's a bit a, a big question mark there. Uh, but he is a guy that. Uh, can play inside as well. And then you have Caleb first coming back who had a pretty good non-conference schedule and he played pretty well in non-conference and then kind of tailed off in the, uh, you know, big 10 season uh, didn't, wasn't as, as productive and they relied a lot more on Trevion Williams and Zach Eady. So it should be fascinating. Um, you know, uh, they've, they've got some pieces there. Uh, uh, Eric uh, Morton is another guy. Ethan Morton is another guy. I think that will step up and, and, take on a bigger role, a former Mr. Basketball in Pennsylvania. He's kind of a point forward type that could help out a lot a little bit and ease the loss of uh, Eric Hunter. And they have a, a couple of really good freshmen coming in, a foster lawyer, Braden Smith. So, yeah, you know, Matt Painter's got a good culture, he reload, and I think they'll be in the mix for the Big Ten as well, even without Ivy and Trevion Williams. Kevin, one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, and you mentioned this earlier about Mike White making the move from uh, Florida to Georgia. What do you think was behind that, uh, having a unique perspective like you do, having covered that Gator program for so long? 
Well, you know, in talking to people that are still there, um, I think there were some uh, family pressures. I think there were some pressures in regards to the fact that Mike had, you know, he had the Elite Eight appearance his second year with Chris Gios and Devin Robinson. And he had some consistent success, but the program, um, I think, had fallen behind some of the other SEC programs, Auburn and, uh, you know, Arkansas with Eric Musselman, what he's done, uh, certainly Tennessee and Rick Barnes to the point where they were kind of scrambling to get in the NCAA tournament every year, uh, had lower seeds, got knocked out. Um, certainly the, the the big disappointment, I think, uh, two years ago with, uh, you know, them losing to the lower seed in Oral Roberts in the round of 32, a game that they really had in hand. And that was a talented team with Trey Mann and Scotty Lewis, uh, two guys that went on to the NBA. There was a hope that that team could make a little bit of a deeper run. And then, of course, last year, uh, the bottom falling out and them not even making the tournament. So I think he felt like a change of scenery was best for him. And, you know, Todd Golden is going to be, you know, tremendously interesting. Um, and I think what very interesting, they hired Torian Green uh, as director yeah. of uh, player basketball operations, which I think is good kind of bridging the gap to that traditional 0607 team that I covered. And uh, I think that there's, going to be a push to kind of embrace that and embrace the culture and the history of, of what Billy Donovan created. Uh, Todd Golden seems to be quite open to that. And uh, I think it's, I think it's tough being the guy after the guy, right? Billy Donovan, but being the guy after the guy, after the guy that Todd Golden is, maybe it'll be a nice fresh start for him. Sure. Speaking of Mike White, I talked to his brother, Danny, of course, who is the AD at Tennessee and, he really, Mike really thinks he can get something done at Georgia. A lot of coaches have tried and failed. As you know, it's hard to recruit Atlanta unless you're willing to do certain things. But now with the NIL, it sort of evens out the playing field. And if you look at the recruiting job Mike and his staff have done at Georgia so far, they they rep- replenished a threadbare roster in, in a hurry and not just with a bunch of scrubs either. So, how do you think Mike White will fare? I think he's a good coach. Yeah, I do too. And I think too that I think the change of scenery will help and maybe the expectations are even a little bit lower than Florida in terms of uh, the fact that uh, I think every SEC school is tough and the visibility of basketball and the strength of the conference, as you know, has grown tremendously in the last 15 or 20 years. Um, but uh, certainly Tom Crean, who used to coach at Indiana, we saw that he failed. Um, and now with uh, with Mike White, he'll get a chance. And I think he's done he's done pretty well in the transfer portal, has he not? And, uh, you know, Malik Renault is a guy, obviously, that unfortunately he couldn't get to come with him to Georgia. I think that would have been really big, and, and certainly that's Indiana's gain. But, uh, you know, Mike's going to do it his way. And I think with Mike, I think defensively he's proven he's a lead coach. I think the question is the offense. And being so three-reliant as he was at Florida um, – while not having that uh, second option in terms of, uh, you know, you know, Billy Donovan was such an offensive savant and we're seeing that with the Bulls and everywhere he's been, Oklahoma city in terms of the motion offense and the pick and rolls and so forth. And, and that was a really tough act to follow, but I think Mike has a little bit of a group room to grow as an offensive coach, but defensively uh, that's where he hangs his hat. And that's where his teams are always strong. Kevin Brockway, thank you so much for the time. We always enjoy our, our visits with you and uh, hope your Mets can continue their success and uh, we'll catch up with you again down the road. I hope so. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Always enjoy our time with Kevin Brockway. He covers the Indiana Hoosiers, Purdue Boilermakers, and a whole a lot of other stuff up in the uh, Hoosier State. So uh, great to catch up with him and 
it, it reminded me of uh, the, the days in the 80s when I went and saw the Reds play a, the Mets a lot back then. I had some friends who were big Mets fans. We'd always go to those series, and I, I get the feeling Kevin is about the same age as I am. Uh, we were talking about some of that before we went on, but uh, the Mets off to a good start. But it's an interesting time for baseball, isn't it? And uh, I, I've I've been very impressed that you've become quite the uh, the college baseball fan over these last couple of years. I really have. I mean, being in SEC country for as long as I have, I'm surprised it took me as long as it did uh, because SEC plays the heck out of some baseball. But, you know, I I was really watching Vanderbilt the last two or three years and and applauding their success. And then when I saw Tennessee uh, at Vanderbilt and you allowed me to join in the press box and watch it from that angle, I just, I don't know, I just really struck a chord and, I enjoyed watching the SEC tournament, and, and I know I had the best seat in the house because I was in my chair, and I didn't have to dodge <laughs> the rain like you did. Tell us about that experience uh, down there. You had a little rain the first couple of days in Birmingham. Yeah, we had a lot of rain, uh, yes, uh, <laughs> down at the Hoover Met. Uh, it, it's really a great event, the SEC tournament. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. I, I had watched it on TV for years and years. I had never actually been until I went last year with Vanderbilt calling the games. And uh, same thing this year, uh, Vanderbilt had a rough go of it. Beat Ole Miss in the first game, and the, the tournament got way behind with all the rain and, and having several postponements, but they were able to get all the games in, and they they did it somehow. They played four games on Saturday, which is usual, just usually just a semifinal day. Uh, Tennessee ended up winning the tournament. They, they're clearly the best team in the country throughout the season this year. Uh, Vanderbilt went 1-2, uh, and two, lost to Tennessee, and then lost to Kentucky, and uh, we came back home, and Found out yesterday we're going out to Corvallis, Oregon to play in the uh, the, the regional out there. We'll play against San Diego, and then uh, we'll play the Oregon State and New Mexico uh, winner or loser, kind of depending on, on how things go. Uh, but that, that'll be a new place for me. I've not been to Oregon State. So I've been to Oregon before. I've been to Portland, but I've not been to uh, Corvallis. So that'll be fun. But, yeah, the SEC tournament's a blast. If you ever get a chance to go – uh, it's really cool just to to see the whole scene. I mean, you have tailgating, just like you do at pretty much everything the SEC does. You have great baseball, have a lot of really good teams. You have some surprises. Kentucky made a surprise run. Alabama did the same. Uh, but and, and then you have this whole scene at the hotel. And uh, we stayed at that Winfrey, you know, which is right there connected to that mall there. And Hoover, oh, yeah. they, they've had all the SEC media days and all that stuff there oh, forever. Yeah. I've been there many times. Uh, but, you know, you all the teams – I guess the top eight teams maybe stay in that same hotel. So, I mean, you're seeing players and coaches and everybody just going in and out and on and off elevators and getting on the buses and everything. It's really an interesting scene. And then you come back after a game and, you know, and each team has a big like hospitality room, meeting room, uh, you know, where, where you can go in, you have team meetings, you have meals and all that stuff. And they're basically right next to one another. So, these teams could have been just got off the field playing against each other. And then all of a sudden they're right across the hall, uh, you know, having their post game meals or meetings or whatever. So it, it's just a, it's a neat scene and it's a lot of fun. So if you get a chance to go to the uh, SEC tournament sometime, uh, you might want to check it out. And, and Chris, if you're getting into college baseball, you need, you need to make the track out to Omaha and, and see the world series, because that is one of the great events in American sports. Uh, I, I've had the, the fortune to go there a couple times in recent years, and it's just great. Even if you don't have a team to root for, uh, you, you totally enjoy it. In all my career, that's one thing I've not done, and I really haven't been to the SEC either. Maybe next year I can be your your uh, caddy uh, <laughs> uh, in the booth and, and, and go. But, boy, Tennessee looks really strong uh, offensively, and 
they they've got a bullpen for days too. Yeah, so. they've they've got it all. This is the most one of the more complete teams you've seen in college baseball in recent years. But you know things get a little tight in these regionals and super regionals. So yeah. uh, we'll we'll see how they do. But they have they pretty much rolled their way through everybody so far. Uh, NBA finals are coming up. We're going to have a uh, Golden State Warriors Boston Celtics finals. Um, it's been interesting to watch those teams. Boston uh, was able to survive a Game 7 on the road at Miami after they uh, lost a late lead uh, in trying to wrap it up at home in Game 6. I'll tell you, player, and, and I know this is not new news, but Jason Tatum has become an elite player in the NBA. He, he's he's fantastic. Celtics got off to a bad start in their season. Now they're playing in the finals. Uh, they have some interesting storylines with Al Horford finally playing for the title after so many years in the NBA. I did not realize he had not played in a final uh, Marcus Smart will be a, a key player and guard in this series, knowing what uh, the Warriors have at those positions. But the Splash Brothers are back. Draymond Green is back. They've all been there and done that and won multiple championships. Andrew Wiggins, uh, a big challenge to guard Tatum. Jalen Brown for the Celtics feels like also he'll be a, a key defender in this thing. So you have two teams that, that feel like, to me, Chris, are pretty evenly matched. The Warriors certainly have the experience factor when it comes to playing in the finals, but I think this is going to be a really good series. I do, too. I, I mean, the sentimental pick is to see the Splash Brothers pull it off one more time before they ride into the sunset. It's not like those guys are ready for retirement, but I don't know how many more chances they're going to get at, you know, in their 30s. Uh, the Celtics are incredible. I mean, they, they squandered a couple of home games in the playoffs, but then they won three games at Miami, which is r- ridiculous. So mm-hmm. they've got a great defense uh, maybe the best in the NBA. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are the two best wings, I think, in 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 the NBA. It's pretty incredible. And it's kind of cool to see Grant Williams, who yeah. wasn't highly recruited, coming out of high school and turned into the two-time SEC Player of the Year and and then struggled for a little bit in the NBA. And until he finally I, – I have a friend, you know him, Jeff Cave from the Southern Conference, who's a huge Celtics fan. And he kept – he would dog cuss – Grant over text to me said that guy's a dog man I mean how, how did you how, how could you possibly think he could play in the NBA and I said just wait dude <laughs> I, I said he's a worker and he's smart and he'll figure it out a way and what he figured out is hey I can be a three and D guy you know he's a corner three I think he he's shooting over 50 percent from three in the playoffs and and he can guard people he may not be able to stop them but he can certainly slow them down so he's learned how to navigate I think the key to Boston is is Robert Williams, who we both saw when he was at Mississippi State. Uh, he's had knee trouble. But if he's healthy, I, I think the Celtics will really be hard to beat. I know Kevon Looney has, has gone loony, I had to say that, yeah. in, in the playoffs. <laughs> he's he's really played his best basketball, maybe of his NBA career. But I, I think Robert Williams, if he's good to go, uh, I, I think the Celtics will win. If he's not, I think it's a toss-up, uh, but the Splash Brothers just have so much offense, and they're just so cagey and canny. And uh, I've been loving those guys. They rekindle my interest in yep. the NBA. I, I've had pockets of interest in the NBA. You know, obviously when I grew up, uh, seeing those old stars, and then Magic and and Bird and Jordan era, and then I kind of got out of it a little while. And then the Splash Brothers reeled me back in. So uh, glad they did it. Uh, I don't have time to watch a ton during the regular season, but come playoff time, I've watched every game of, of the finals uh, in each conference. So uh, I, I really see the Celtics winning it, but 
it wouldn't break my heart to see the Splash Brothers do it again. Yeah, I enjoy watching the Splash Brothers too. Uh, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, two of the greatest shooters in the history of basketball. Steph might be the greatest, and Clay isn't far behind. And probably and you it, can make a case that he is. Yeah, and it's been fun to see Clay get back from the injuries. I mean, he's been basically gone for a couple seasons, and uh, I, I've missed watching him play. So. Yeah, that'll, it'll be a good series that gets started here in a couple days. Chris, as we wrap up, uh, people probably think we're loony to do our uh, spoiler-filled uh, Star Wars series recaps, but uh, the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series is underway, and uh, we, we won't give out too much info if people haven't seen no. it. But uh, they, they released the first two episodes last week. Uh, I, I thought they were good. Obi-Wan was in hiding from the Inquisitors. He got a little of the backstory on Princess Leia as a child. Uh, the narrow escape and his rescue uh, as, as Obi-Wan went and found her, and uh, she didn't totally trust him at first. So it, it's, it's been good. I, I thought it was good. I, I saw some people sort of panic, but I, I thought it was fine, uh, the first two episodes I saw. You know, I don't see how people can panic. They have no idea what it takes uh, as a filmmaker to so all the different threads of the Star Wars canon together. You know, you got comic books, you got an animated series, you got all the movies. Um, I, don't, I don't know how they do it. I, I liked Obi-Wan Kenobi. The, the thing that strikes me about these Star Wars spinoffs is these characters are content to go off the grid and live like bombs, man. Uh, you know, if, if you think about it, Boba Fett went and lived with, with his tribe out in the desert, and I'm sure chafing was a real issue. There. That, that wasn't really his choice, though. <laughs> no, uh, that's true, but uh, but he did. I mean, he kind of had to hang there, and and then Obi Wan is is living in a cave, no, no AC, uh, uh, no refrigeration that I can see. Uh, but I, I I guess that just shows you how tough those Jedi guys are, but. You know, kind of a reluctant hero, drugged back into it, literally drugged back into it. But uh, I, I'll tell you, I just, I'm not like this huge Star Wars fan like some people I know, but I get charged up and somewhat emotional sometimes just thinking about how much it's meant in my life. Uh, one of the first dates I ever took my wife on was the original Star Wars movie. I remember standing outside, there's lines outside the theater, sweating like a pig to get in. Uh, but it's been a big part of my life. And, uh, if somebody ever asked me what star Wars means to me, I, I would say what it means to me is how much it means to other people. Right. Uh, if you look at all these uh, conventions and comic cons and places where there was a star Wars, uh, uh, convention last week, uh, a, a sort of a tribute, what it means to other people. Uh, it's it just so touching uh, that, that it's, you know, George Lucas, just off the top of his head, while using his many influences, uh, like Saturday afternoon at the movie matinees, but mm-hmm. uh, he just created a whole world. And so many others have, have jumped in, like John Favreau and uh, Deborah Chow, who's uh, directing Obi-Wan and, and taking the ball and run with it. And it just means so much to so many people. And I just like it when when people can find meaning in life and something that floats their boat, no matter what it is, yeah. you know, and, and with star Wars, it's done that for millions upon millions of people for more than 40 years. Yeah. I'm old enough to have seen the original in the, in the theater as well. Uh, first run way back in, in 1977 or 78, I guess it was. And, uh, it, to me, the fun part of it too, is to see how much my own son enjoys it now. And he's got all the Lego toys and, 
Oh he, yeah. He, he watches I've seen those. It. He basically watches it all on, on a loop. So <laughs> it's fun to get his interpretation of all this. He, he knows way more about it than I do. So uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get we'll keep you updated on how the Obi Wan Kenobi series is going as we move along. Chris, always a lot of fun. Hopefully, uh, by the next time we do our podcast, you'll be feeling better. But uh, hope so too, all the man. Best. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the podcast you're looking for, the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time.